Welcome to the next edition of Simon White and the podcast at the nexus of business, media, and politics. I'm Christian White, joined as always by Mark Simon, who's coming in from Taipei. Mark, say hello. Morning, everybody, or good evening. All right. We're just uh, now, you know, we had today the press conference of Joe Biden, our president, in Rome uh, on the heels of the G20. Um, and now we're off to the COP26. Biden will be there for a couple of days. And this, uh, you know, the number 26 means there have been 25 before these. It's the, uh, is it the Council Committee of Parties, <laughs> the grand gathering of people who are, are <laughs> part of this industry, um, who are, are, are very concerned about climate change. Um, you know, uh, it just seems odd to me that it seems like the world elite getting together, both in Rome and now in Glasgow, which is where they're holding the Hootenanny this year, and they're talking about how to raise our energy costs. It's kind of as simple as that. And this comes on the heels of people lining up for gas in Great Britain. Uh, we're now paying three forty plus a gallon of, uh, of for gas here in the U.S. Three seventy four if you get mid grade, and oil is now above eighty bucks a barrel. I mean, what do you think this looks like? Is Biden really scoring any points here, or just sort of no? He's getting progressive this, crowd. This is. This is really the new class warfare. The class warfare is we're taking care of you. You have to agree with us because we're saving you from melting icebergs. Okay. And we're saving you from polar bears, you know, running through the streets of Miami <laughs> and uh, or whatever, you know. But the thing is, is that I just don't understand how you could be so disconnected to not understand that $3.65 a gallon gas in Pennsylvania uh, out by Harrisburg is good for the working class family. We are looking at inflation that, you know, not in, you know, CPI doesn't include rents, which is always the most bizarre thing to me, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, what are we looking at? Our housing prices, I should say. What are we looking at here? We're looking at basically the one thing that people do at least twice a week is look at their energy cost. Either it's a heating bill, some type of power bill, filling up your car. Two or three times a week, you are reminded of how much money you are spending. And if you want to understand the genius of Donald Trump, Donald Trump understood that. Okay. Joe Biden has probably not put gasoline in a car. I would bet the great question would be, Mr. Biden, When's the last time you ever filled up a car? <laughs> right. It's going to be like the George Bush moment, you know, when he was going through that that thing, which was not true, actually. But I mean, with oh, the, the, uh, the, the grocery with store the, scanner, with the right, grocery store right. scanner, where he thought that was so neat. He was actually just <laughs> making conversation. I mean, I know the story, but it became a myth and an urban legend and it worked. Look. If the Democrats have one one problem right now, it is basically rising energy costs, which are driving inflation. If business in America has a major cost, major crisis, it's a labor shortage and it's the rising cost of energy. I come from a farm family. I'm telling you right now, for the last seven or eight years, we've been doing really well on beef and on some other stuff because energy costs are low. Once those energy costs go raise up, well, the beef has to raise up, the prices have to raise, everything has to go up to, to accommodate that. There's not always a perfect correlation. So my cousins and my other relatives, they're not happy. They're usually reliable Democratic voters. This time they're not. And I think the real thing that we have to remember, too, here from an investing point of view is 
We need to look at every one of these energy corporations that are listening to their PR people, that are going out, going on CNBC, and they're an oil company talking about how they're now into renewable energies. And when they have to say, look, we make clean fuels, we make clean this, I'm tired of all your stuff. You don't like it, don't invest in us, okay? But it's gotta stop. We've gotta stop this economic blackmail by people like Fink, you know what I'm saying? Who are, who are basically investing people's money in ETFs. And then you know, they don't have to take much. I mean, you know, if you've got $2 trillion, $7 trillion under management, and you just get the, you give your social justice warriors internally four or five hundred billion to play with, that's not as much as you think, you know what I'm saying? Or a few hundred billion. And they're in there causing trouble at Exxon. So now what does Exxon have? Exxon has three environmentalists on their board of directors who are doing nothing but destroying shareholder value. Chevron's the yep. same way. All these companies should be shooting through the roof with their stock prices right now. They should be opening up new places to new places to uh, develop. Shale, we should have, be having another boom out in the out in out in the Midwest. It is growing, but it's not booming. You know why? Because every guy who's about to invest in a new shale operation knows that the Biden administration is fighting them on this. That's right. That's so right. I, it's a, it's this 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 energy stuff is going to be the political. It's going to be the political earthquake because it brings in every single issue. And here's the problem. Before, you could make the argument about pollution. You could make things. Now you're talking about we have to do this for global warming. And again, who is it? It's going to be the wealthy, super urban, upper educated left wingers telling the rest of the country what to do. But now you're going to have a certain number of that upper educated, high end net wealth who's going to start seeing their wallets impacted, not just in terms of, you know, get money that's paid at the pump and food and things like that, which bothers them a little bit, but not as much as you would think. Right. But you're going to see the returns on their investments in the economy going like this. And these people live. One of the things people always forget, the wealthy don't so much live on cash flow. Most of us live a cash flow life. Money comes in, we spend it. It's a cash flow life. The wealthy live a life of appreciation. That's how their lives get better. So if things aren't appreciating, they're not doing well. They've had a good 20 years. They're not going to be happy when they start having a bad two or three. Right. And when some of these asset bubbles start deflating or popping, which really does seem to be imminent. I mean, even the most yes. uh, bullish people on the market are sort of are putting out signals that next year, I think it could even be sooner. Um, you know, it's really, if you look at valuations, they just can't get any higher. Eventually, the Fed is going to have to start reeling things in. My guess in particular, after Jerome Powell uh, gets renominated, assuming he does, and that has to happen fairly soon because his term is up in January, meaning the Senate has to go through his extremely laborious process of reconfirming him as Fed chairman. Anyway, once that's done uh, and he gets past the uh, Elizabeth Warren gauntlet, then he can, he can start raising rates and cutting back stuff. One thing you said was interesting to me with all of these wokeistas putting, putting on the board. Uh, again, this is ancient history. I think it was the late 90s, could have been the early 2000s. I think it was the late 90s where United actually allowed or was browbeaten into putting union members on its board. Lo and behold, whenever officers showed up with ideas for cost cutting, especially labor, these union members on the board insisted that those officers get fired. You only have to do that once or twice until word gets around the company. Guess how long it was until United went through bankruptcy? 
not very long. Equity holders get wiped out, the board gets redone, and voila, no more union members on the board. But it seems like we're at the, the front end of this. One energy company I'll, I'll throw out, because they just reported it's Saudi Aramco. This is the uh, Saudi oil monopoly. Uh, just reported $30 billion in quarterly income, not revenue, net income. So, so, so they're doing pretty well. It's interesting, Aramco had an IPO a little while ago. They didn't float much because they want to keep you know, tight control. And I think their IPO proceeds were about 29 billion. So they just did that again in a single quarter. Um, you know, as you point, you say that there's been sort of- And, they're, and they're restraining themselves. They're actually holding back. Exactly. And, and um, you know, here in the United States, it's as you, I think you point out that uh, we have all these resources, but uh, if the government is, is sort of threatening whatever is next, if the majors are now going woke, uh, I mean, do you think uh, we talked previously about Russia being an opportunity just because they're actually in favor of producing stuff? The UAE, Saudi, is the, are these markets to look at for, for growth in the energy? Market? Yeah, absolutely. Because, look, it's, it's not just it's not just U.S. companies. It's it's essentially, um, you know, the Shell, it's the Europeans, it's the French oil companies. Um, I remember talking to a French oil executive in Burma, Myanmar. And I, we were talking and he, we shared the same political outlooks in life. And he was like, look, I just want to, I, I want to pump oil here and sell it in Thailand. He said, I don't want to, he said, I don't even think about the markets in other places. He said, I couldn't go back to France because everybody would consider me, a, you know, an abomination against the environment and all these things. And he goes, whatever. But the point being is there is now a willingness of the elites to basically take shareholder value, to cost more money for the working class because they want to control their behavior. What I mean by that is, you know, I've heard you hear people, you say, well, I, I like to live out in the country. Oh yeah, but then it, you have to drive so much in your, you know, this, this, this desire to control has grown so great and, and this is my point for investing. I think investors have to look inside companies now. I think you could almost make up an ETF against, you know, basically look at the HR and the PR departments of these companies. That is where all the trouble starts. That's where people who don't have any, really any deliverables, you know what I'm saying? Nobody's running around in the PR department, um, you know, basically saving the company. You know, they're looking for crises to make themselves valuable. They're coming up with stupid ideas. Um, they're always trying to scare the senior executives, like you said, who, who, who don't want to do things. It's the reason why private companies and I think the, the, uh, the private equity guys are so much better off. Um, and then you have the HR people who are constantly looking to do what? They're constantly looking to increase their power by basically coming up with all types of different ideas and all types of different instructions to people. Look, I fully bought back the idea of diversity and the idea of like having an open company. But the fact of the matter is very quickly you jump from things that concern employees to the employees basically bringing their political concerns in. It's like the guy on the Southwest airline, the pilot who said, let's go, Brandon. Okay. Right. I don't care. I don't like it, to be honest with you, as a businessman. And I'd probably dock the guy's pay for a week. You know what I'm saying? But, but, and the only reason I do it is, but how many companies, if you work for the company, 
your company's espousing some political ideology that you don't agree with. I remember meeting a guy at Starbucks one time where my son worked, and I was shocked because he had all the hallmarks of, you know, I was watching what I said politically. This guy was like basically a, uh, a radical libertarian. And he was telling me, he said he hates Starbucks. He said it's a good job and he likes it because he gets his benefits and it works for his college hours. But he said he'll never, he wouldn't encourage anybody to work there because he said, they, he said everything they do is woke. Everything they do is, is, is public. And everything they do works against me. You know, Starbucks is going down now. This is one thing. I would continue to short Starbucks. I'll tell you for two reasons. First of all, I don't think they're offering anything special. You know what I'm saying? In other words, there's no they, there's a lot of other people out there. Well, three reasons. Second reason is labor costs are rising rapidly, and Starbucks is going to just constantly see their labor cost rising because they have they they basically have to hire probably some of the highest quality people in the retail in the in the fast food industry, and they are in the fast food industry. Yeah, and that's going to basically raise their margins, and maybe people may not be willing to pay that extra thirty-five cents a cup of coffee for them, because people notice that they'll notice when that latte goes from three seventy-five to four hundred two. You know what I'm saying? I'm paying yeah. four bucks for a latte now. That's going to be a lot. Maybe I'll just take my own coffee. I'll yeah, buy I an can't. espresso machine. I can't think of the last time I was in a Starbucks. Um, you know, it's uh, not the best coffee around. Maybe if I was homeless and needed a place to go to the bathroom, I would. I would well, go into this one. Is, this is know. the fourth. This is the third reason why Starbucks is going downhill. This is the third reason. Starbucks doesn't care about their employees. This is a company that basically said to be woke and to please everybody, you can come in and sit in our place of business. You can do anything you want. My son was working at the Morristown Starbucks. I went up there two or three times. The bathrooms are filthy or have to be clean because there's a homeless encampment around Morristown, New Jersey. That is what tolerated way too much. The Starbucks is their hangout. I sat there and watched the guy steal money from the tip jar. Nobody could do anything about it. Mm. You, the bathrooms are unusable. Okay. The place is basically taken over. And when I said to my son, I said, why don't you guys just call the cops and have them come up and clean them out? And he goes, oh, company policy is we don't have confrontations. We're trying to open to them. And they're giving them free water all day long. So the guys come in and out and free water. They beg for money and they just sit there. Look, I I'm not looking for a war with these guys. But do you know how, how miserable it is to be an employee there and just know that your tip money is going to get stolen? There's a possibility of violence. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of these guys are drug addicts. And mm -hmm. more importantly, more importantly, what people don't really understand is you're allowing your employees to be told that these people are more important than you are. And yeah. in the world today where employees are the most important people that a business has, you can't send that message. Starbucks sends the message out every single day that basically because some homeless advocate's going to come and stand in our restaurant and scream, we're going to let our employees be abused. I would say... I, I think Starbucks, based on everything, that, that company's got at least another 20% down before they wake up. And the culture inside that company is, I promise you, in the HR department and the PR people are having to talk about their commitment to the community and all that crap, not yeah. worrying about their employees. Yeah. Employees matter. You have to take care of your people. 
I think I was in LA when they issued an edict that their employees were supposed to engage us morons in the general public about race. Uh, I was waiting for the barista to try it, and he didn't, to his credit. I think that was that was very wise. Because it's, it's of, not. Of I him. mean, the guy, the person yeah. just wants a job. No, nobody's course. at Starbucks. Or, nobody's <laughs> at Starbucks because they're trying to run to. There's not like Johnny Appleseed or Johnny Johnny Coffee Seed at Starbucks running around spreading the word of Jesus through coffee. I've never seen that happen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're, they're people that are trying to have a job, but Starbucks, it's a, it's, it, it's, it's a semi-skilled job in terms of being efficient, fast, and moving. Have you ever been in a Starbucks that's not very efficient? It's something to watch. People are backed up for hours. Go to mm -hmm. any college campus Starbucks and watch. It's a mess. They're a mess. Go to one in New York City that's really humming or San Francisco that's really humming with good people. You have to take care of those people. You, they shouldn't have to deal with all this crap. You know what yep. I'm saying? And the problem is inside companies, that's the issue. And it gets back to this whole thing with Exxon and Chevron. You've got all these talented people working in your company. Yet at Exxon, they've got three members of the board of directors who do nothing but think up ideas to bring down the profits and then bring down the company bonuses of those people. Because bonuses are tied to performances of the company. And of course, people say to you, well, Mark, you know, we can't just be quarterly. Look, the strategy that Exxon is taking moving away from fossil fuels, that's not a quarterly downturn. That's not a yearly downturn. That's a multi-year downturn. At what point in time are things long term? And it doesn't help, quite frankly. You know, it's one of the I hate them. The worst business channel there is, I know people are going to say, is Bloomberg. I have never seen somebody <laughs> who claims to be about business that is nothing but a bunch of elitists, you know? Yeah. And, and Bloomberg, Bloomberg basically one day will become a public company. And look, God bless Mike Bloomberg. He's happy to make his billion dollars a year on his terminals. You know what I'm saying? But really, we'll just have to see. The survival anyway, of those my things rant. is... Is, is, is most amazing. I remember using a Bloomberg terminal as an intern on Wall Street in 1995, thinking it was pretty cool, but thinking that it wouldn't outlast the sort of commercialization of the internet, which was just starting then. And the fact that now, 25 years later, companies are still paying, you know, X thousand dollars, X ten thousand dollars for Bloomberg terminals is, is that's, that's a testament to uh, cornering a market and in information, I guess. Uh, speaking of which, Robinhood. Now, this is something you and I have both been pessimistic yeah. on before. This is the discount broker. Well, you um, called it. In fairness to you, you you were the one who really <laughs> took it down. And the 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 uh, sweetheart of meme traders uh, missed its earnings revenue and is now down below its OP, IPO price. It's right around its IPO price, but off ten percent. You know, Kathy Woods, the moron who runs Art Capital, uh, who just is long on every overvalued techie thing there is um, or it girl there is which i would include robin hood in that this is the, ex um, this is is the example of letting the PR, this is the example of letting i'm sorry i cut you off this is the example of letting the pr department in with the senior executive too often you know she spends way too much time on bloomberg cnbc and she, there's not a woman's forum that she wants that she's not showing up at and i I think they've convinced her that this is really good. I think it doesn't matter. I think your performance is what somebody looks at. When someone's looking at Google and they say, Google, show me how I can make, you know, show me the best performing ETF, show me the best performing fund. It doesn't show your brilliant speech that you did at Wesley in college, you know what I'm saying, on, on, <laughs> on, on, on ESG.
It shows performance. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Well, it's not hard to do what she's doing. I mean, so she gets a portfolio that's a beta of like 1.5 or 2, two times market volatility. The uh, market's up, especially tech. Uh, but these are just crazy overvalued things. Also, with Robinhood, um, you know, I thought what would kill it basically would be a flat market or a down market where people who have been looking at it and experiencing it like a video game or gambling uh, suddenly realize how much you could lose and it doesn't become fun anymore. But actually, there is some of that. I mean, all, overall, their trading was down, I think. Uh, but it's the, the fees that they earn on crypto that really put a crimp in them. I didn't realize that was that part of the business. I mean, this thing really does... Uh, does feel like a house of cards. And also the one thing that they do make money on, which is basically uh, the people who actually execute their trades, pay them for deal flow. This has been something that's been around for a while, apparently, but they've really taken it to a new level and the SEC is now looking at outlawing it. Um, it seems like this, this business uh, oh. could be in trouble and probably has a lot, lot more downside potential. I think, I, first of all, I think you called it. I think people should have listened to it. I hope people listen to you on this. Um, Kristen, Look, the only reason I really like Robin Hood and I like Grasshopper or some of these other guys is because it brings people into the market. And I think it's great that a 27-year-old guy or a 23-year-old like my nephew who, you know, makes 50,000, 45,000 bucks a year. And, you know, I think it's great that they're in there investing because investors are then conscious of business and they become friendly to business because they want to make money. Okay. Now, unfortunately, it just takes a while. You know, in, in other words, there's a reason why young investors, portfolio managers get a smaller amount to manage because they're always looking for bad ideas. I hate to say it. And when I, when they want, I love that term, looking for bad ideas, because they're looking for basically big wins. And big wins have more bad ideas. And, you know, they always think you can hit it out of the park. I fundamentally believe that Anytime you look at Robin Hood, and I looked at it time and time again, I think Charlie Munger, and I hate to quote him, and Warren Buffett were correct. They're making their money basically in a casino off people who are basically paying a tip every single time to them. And, you know, they're, they're making their money off the, off the, uh, off the user. And I think what's going to happen is the users, once they get ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, as I've done with a, a young man who's close to my, who's pretty close to me, um, you know, basically I said, look, take your thirty-five thousand dollars and open up a Charles Schwab account, and he did it. You know what I'm saying? And you know, Charles Schwab is going to, you know, let, if he wants to trade every day, he can trade every day. But by the same token, they're not going to give him all this crazy stuff and this and that. Now, also, I will show that I am an impeccable loser here and <laughs> i am not a bitcoin fan i am not a fan of, of, of these currencies P most of it has to do with the fact as i think we both were talking about this i don't want to put it down on my w2 <laughs> i don't want the irs <laughs> right. to see me playing in bitcoin and then my life becomes hell but the other thing too is is like I, my problem is i'm not the guy who does that i'm not the type of guy who basically could have two hundred thousand dollars riding on it it shoots up to $300,000 and then just close my eyes. You know what I'm saying? Now, I know people have all types of strategies for these. I know a lot of people are very smart about it. I, I just don't understand it. I don't know it. 
so I'm not going to do it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, yeah. it's just to me, you know, the other thing too is people have to remember investing is about, you know, basically playing your own game, increasing your pod. I am not one of these people that's ever going to invest my way to financial security. I'll have money. I'll do okay. But very few people are. And what I mean by that is I'm not, I'm going to work my way. So when I invest, I'm actually working. But the idea that I'm going to, the idea that I'm going to pick five things and that's going to be that, you know, is, is going to be that is, is ridiculous. But yeah, Robin hood, I'd stay the hell away from it. Uh, uh, I, I wouldn't be so sure about shorting it because I do think it's not big enough, to be honest with you. Um, and what I mean by that not big enough is I think the, you know, the Reddit boys can ride it up and down a little bit. You know, you could get burned. I think just stay out of right. it. Look for something else. Uh, cloud computing is going to be exciting. Um, you know, even though we were just ragging on the, uh, the, the, the uh, oil companies, I'm ragging on the companies. But if you can f- look, governments are going to be throwing dollar after dollar into basically, you know, green energy. If you can find some green energy companies that make a nickel, you know, and do OK, some solar guys, you know, they're going to be OK. Um, I think it'll be fine. Right. You know, I think well, you make you make a good point about Robin Hood. A couple of good points there. One, that it does bring more people into investing, which is good. Uh, two, yeah, I think you're right about the dangers of shorting it. I've tried to short it a couple of times and I've been quoted some extremely high interest rates on E-Trade uh, or it's just not available for borrowing. Um, so disclosure, I do on put options and would benefit from stocks decline, further decline. Um, but yeah, there, there are ways there. There's more than one way to, uh, of course, take advantage of a stock that's in decline. One other thing, uh, previously we mentioned Russia and um, Long on a uh, it's Van Eck Russia ETF. It kind of gets the whole smear of Russian energy, a little bit of banking, a little bit of metals. And, uh, um, you know, if you if you think that economy is going to benefit from higher oil prices, and I think they are They're They're having uh, difficulties now with Delta variant uh, numbers popping there, uh, but that hopefully will be short-lived and they've raised interest rates, which something eventually that the US and Western Europe will have to do, but uh, not so far. That's all the time we have for this episode of Simon White and join us again soon. Thanks.